0: Bienvenidos to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host, Pedro Abreu, and today's episode, I invite my friend Dan, a PhD candidate from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, to talk about our research. However, he ends up tricking me in talking about my burnout and my experience taking a sabbatical year in Brazil. In any case, in this episode, we talk about his research in the field of parallelism, more specifically garbage collection in the presence of actors. And towards the end of the episode, we talk about my research on translating JDTs from Okibun Kok. Let's get into it! I'm really, really excited for today's episode because actually a friend of mine is here with me and we're going to have an amazing conversation. This is going to be a little bit different. Usually I I interview someone with, you know, like that is a professor or something like that. But this time I'm interviewing a friend of mine that is also a PhD student. And we're going to be talking about our research. So welcome to the show, Dan Ploken.
1: Hi, I'm happy to be here. And you, you gave the game away because I was going to introduce myself as a community radio host for East Central Illinois, 90.1 FM, playing Celtic music and jazz music once a month. And incidentally, also PhD candidate in computer science.
0: But, do you have to do those but, sexy sexy host voices, you know, like that they're really smooth and talk <laughs> like that and the end of the night or something?
1: Um. N- they'd never told me not to do it, <laughs> but I, I try not to. I try to just talk normally. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really glad to be on.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here, dude. Um, actually, actually, that's a really good thing that you mentioned because you know something that I've been that I've been thinking a lot is that often when we're doing a PhD, we are. So hyper focused on you know being productive and and feeling bad about not working on our stuff, and we forget that we should have lives, right? We, ha- we should have hobbies. So it's really cool that you do some some things on on radio. Can you talk a little more about that? What what is what do we actually do there?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I finally found a hobby after six years. You know, I really, <laughs> I really, I really recommend it. And in fact, you know, when I was starting my PhD, and I was starting to feel a little bit stressed, uh, my mom, who also has a PhD well, she has a PhD. I don't have one yet. Uh, she said, you know, one of the best things that you could do is have a kid right now because, you know, she, she was doing her PhD and she had me while she was doing it. And she said, you know, all my other classmates, they were just staying in the lab 24 seven, they were getting burned out. And what I could do is I could go home, I could feed some little monkey in and, you know, at (laughs) home and I could feel better in the morning and recharge. And so, yeah, um, at the, uh, I just happened to find out that our local community radio station, WEFT, Champagne, ninety point one FM, community radio for East Central Illinois, um, they're always uh, they're always looking for new people. I, I bet any uh, any listeners, if you have community radio at your in your city, you probably do. They're um, they're looking for people to to join, and so I I sent an email and. A few months later, I I was doing a Zoom call, and then a few months later, I was, um, I was in front of a microphone and I was, you know, uh, DJing some some jazz, um, and it, you know, th- well, there's something really magical about the about the radio experience, um, but it's also it, it it's not very stressful. It's just uh, you can kind of sit in a booth and and do something, but it takes your complete undivided attention. So it's a real nice. Uh, Way to tune out from from research for a while.
0: Not only, I mean research. that's why that, that's why yeah. you're
1: doing this podcast, I guess.
0: Is it? Oh, no, probably
1: not. Right? It's not very
0: relaxing. <laughs> the there 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 are a few reasons why I'm doing the podcast. There is the reason that I really wanted a type theory podcast. That well, we mm-hmm. had one before, but it was that kind of, and yeah. and you know, like it's really good for for you know, my, my career, I think, and I'm learning things. And I usually have, I usually come here and talk to another person that is extremely, extremely smart about, about something that I'm also excited about. And I have his undivided attention for one, two, maybe even three hours. And that's just, just magical. It's like, he's talking directly to me. And I, all, all I do is, you know, like, I broadcast this to the rest of the world, which is pretty cool in my opinion, but
1: yeah, there's a funny yeah. thing. Like you can't normally you walk up to some, you know, outstanding intellectual in their field and, and you're like, Can I talk to you for two hours? And they're like, no, obviously not. And they're like, What if I'm <laughs> right? on a podcast? What if I have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and
0: they're like, Yes, sign me up. Exactly, cool. exactly. It's a it's a it's a pretty cool hack. And don't 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 tell don't tell anyone. <laughs> Actually, Our, honestly, I, I think we should have more more podcasts like this. You know, like uh, um. Cody? Cody Rue started the podcast. It's called The Church of Lambda, which is a pretty cool name if you ask me. And uh-huh. I, I think like, I don't see that as a competition at all. I think like we all gain if, if we do more and we bring more people in this kind of interest, you know? Because that's something that, that I see too, because it's, it's, you know, like type theory and this stuff that we do here, programming languages. It's pretty it's, it's pretty niche, It's it's small. Mm-hmm. Especially compared, you know, like with with machine learning, with AI, that is, it's like everyone wanna do that right now. PL is is very very small, and we don't we don't have, you know, like when I when I was here in Brazil, I felt so isolated, like I didn't have anyone to talk about these things. I actually went to the US because there there isn't that many Brazilian professors doing research, even outside of my of my university you know so producing content in these areas i think i think it's it's very good it's very good for everyone everyone gains right so yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah is it is that like the uh will this be in the in the podcast and it's like the type 3 for all origin story i don't know if that's been been broadcast yet on your, on your i don't podcast. know i think
0: i think i bring i bring this up every now and then and i bring pieces uh-huh. of this sort of stuff but yeah we can <laughs> we can leave this mm-hmm. in no 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 problem, but um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about about your research. You said that you've been in your PhD for six years now. Yeah, yeah. Who's your advisor and what do you do? Um, so my advisor is
1: uh, Gul Aga. He um, he's one of the founding um, founding fathers of of this thing called the Actor Model, which I think. It, it it's it's kind of like lambda calculus where like a few people have heard of it and they really really like it and everybody else is like they've kind mm. of <laughs> n- know some words and they're like oh yeah actor model it's one of those things that I, sh- I that shows up on hacker news all the time it's like oh i should get around to learning about the actor model but yeah all all of my research revolves one way or another around actors um and and, and so it's a kind of an interesting intersection of a few different areas of computer science it's it's an intersection of distributed systems research um programming language theory type systems runtime systems so it's nice there's if you're if you're bored of one topic you can always switch to another in, in the actor world um should i maybe i should mention you know some examples of actor model languages and frameworks yeah 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 so um probably what, what everybody's heard of most likely if they have is is erlang or elixir uh those are oh, yeah. actor model uh languages uh, they pop up on hacker news like all the time and that's how i first heard of them even before i like really knew about actors B- more people know about erlang and elixir i think than than know about actors per se because they 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 ca- actually were kind of invented simultaneously with actors so actors were coming up out of mit and actually there were with Carl Hewitt and he was trying to do some, um, artificial intelligence stuff that, and this was like back Mm -hmm. when MIT was doing the symbolic AI type of things. And then they were just, uh, they got to a point where, um, they kind of needed more computational power. And so they needed languages that were kind of more and more expressive. And Carl Hewitt was, had these very, uh, high-minded, uh, ideas about how we, we could do this type of concurrency. And he was just starting from the ground up from first principles coming up with these ideas and then. My advisor was one of Carl Hewitt's students, and uh, my advisor helped kind of refine it into a a very simple notion of what actors should be. And around that time, I I think um, it was Armstrong. Oh, what was his? The uh, one of the main the basically the uh, Erlang people were working in telecom. And they were trying to solve this problem of they were they needed some kind of programming language for orchestrating these distributed systems and dealing with all sorts of failures. And they were and and ultimately, they came up with almost exactly the same abstraction from a very practical um, we're trying to solve the specific problem point of view where that my advisor came up with coming from a very Abstract um first principles, what do we need in computation in parallelism? Uh so it's a really interesting kind of confluence there. That's that's in the actor world, that's our version of you know the Curry Howard correspondence, probably the Erlang actor correspondence. Um maybe that that that's some indication that it's a, a useful model.
0: Can you can you um, can you specify that, that isomorphism that you're talking about? In, 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 just just it? Like make it a little bit more
1: clear about what what that isomorphism is i mean it's not a formal right. isomorphism the point is that um in academia people were motivated by an idea of what does concurrency and parallelism really mean how do we develop this stuff from first principles um and so that branch came out of mit and they came up with the word actors and mm-hmm in the Erlang world, the company is called Ericsson. Ericsson were trying to figure out how to solve this precise problem about that dealt with lots of various kinds of failures. Um, and they landed on this idea of what they called a process. And their idea of a process, their abstraction corresponds very closely to uh, Gulaga's idea of an actor. So there's um, a construct for creating a, an actor, and there's a construct for spawning a process. There's a construct for asynchronously sending a message from one actor to another. There's a construct for sending messages between processes, and so there's a very close, just it's it's like a similarity there. But nobody's it's 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 not formalizable, right? But uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting um, confluence there.
0: Parallelism. Well, <laughs> I think it's bad to use the word par- par- like there, there is a parallel between these two worlds, but yeah, yeah. there's a parallel. So it's a bad word to use. <laughs> but um, can you can you make a little more precise what it, what does it mean to be for what what is actually an actor?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, so an actor is basically a process. Whatever we have our idea of what a process is, we kind of know it from operating systems. But it's, it's this idea of a process where it has a local state, it has a mailbox, and it has a unique address. And when an actor has nothing in its mailbox, it, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there. And when somebody puts a me- message into its mailbox, the actor wakes up and it reads the message and then it executes a program to process that message. And that program, it can do several things. It can update its local state. It can spawn new actors. It can send messages to some actors. And that's about it. So that's the whole idea of what an actor is. It's just this, these these processes that can do stuff. Um, and I think more central to the to the impact that actors have is what they don't do, which is that they don't have shared mutable local state. So data races are not a thing in the actor model because you can't have shared data. Um, and another thing is that deadlocks are are very hard to ha- have happen because actors are communicating by asynchronous messages. You can you know, work your way around things and, and cause things to hang or cause deadlocks, but um, locks per se are not a primitive in actors. So it's, it's harder to get yourself into a deadlock type of situation. Um, and I should mention by the way that uh, actors, as well as being at Ericsson and being developed at MIT, they're kind of everywhere. It's such a simple abstraction. Like, I mean, based on my description, it seems like everything is an actor. You you see them all over the place. Yeah. And you keep mm-hmm. seeing actors getting reinvented by companies. Like I was looking into the Hadoop code base a while back because I was trying to f- find something about distributed systems bugs. And I found that they had developed these abstractions that I was like, oh, these they called them like services or something like that. I was like, oh, these services are kind of actor And then I found a comment that's like, yeah, these are motivated by actors, actually. <laughs> um, so it's just one of those things that just happens, seems to be the right way to do things um, a lot of the time. It's just a very convenient abstraction that people keep reinventing. Um, yeah, and, and, and besides Erlang, Aka, there, there's also Aka, there's Microsoft Orleans, uh, the Ray framework has actors that's a big like machine learning framework nowadays so lots of people are, are actually using actors for various kinds of things
0: how do they communicate with each other you said there is no shared multiple state and there is no primitive for for locks and things like that so i'm, I'm envisioning mm-hmm. some sort of of message passing style sort of thing and mm-hmm. yeah. some, some sort of channel something like that
1: yeah so Um, they just communicate by asynchronous message passing. So, and in order for actor a, to send a message to actor B actor, a needs to have actor B's reference or it's, it's like unique ID. So if a has the unique address of actor B, a can send a message to B. And so, and it just sends it asynchronously. You just fire it. And then eventually sometime later, that message hopefully will be delivered into that, that actor's mailbox. And so talking about, you know, how do, how do they, so they they can communicate by message passing and stuff, but you might say, oh, well, this seems like a huge limitation. Like, how do I have shared state? You know, every program I write, I have two threads that need to somehow refer to the same thing. Like if we're talking about a database, how do we talk about the same database? And the idea is instead of having shared state, that's in the form of like fields of memory, and then you can have data races for those fields, you just spawn an actor and then we both have that actor's address and we can communicate to that actor and that actor receives messages one at a time processes those messages so it acts as kind of a natural synchronization point for any kind of shared state that you need to have you spawn an actor that actor has that state and we can both talk to him
0: that's pretty neat actually i like that <laughs> and and again make things pretty simple because then you know like the the idea of state and the program which is the actor they're kind of like Very intertwined, right? In the sense of, you know, functions and and data is coming back together again, right? And that's always that seems to be usually a good thing. I don't want to say that's always a good thing because (laughs) that's a danger, very dangerous thing to say. But you said when you you, when you mix the functions (laughs) with the data, sorry. Yeah, you know, like functional programming. You know, like everything is a function is the big logo, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a good thing because thing, well usually it's a good thing because then things start becoming much simpler and it's less layers of abstractions right things are getting more um, consistent right um, mm-hmm. but now, now you 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 said a lot of, of really really good things and and really good selling points but what are what are the bad things what are things that usually shoot the users in the foot.
1: Uh, basically everything that I'm working on (laughs) in my research, uh, for example, you know, the thing that I'm most excited about right now is my, is my PhD research, which is actor garbage collection. So you know how in, in Java, you, you create all these objects, blah, blah, blah. And actually, well, in pretty much every language, right? Python, Java, Haskell, you create objects. And then when those objects are no longer needed, they'll just be cleaned up by the, the garbage collector. Well, with the actor world, it becomes a lot more complex. For one thing, because actors can be distributed across different nodes in a distributed system. And so there can be, you know, um, the nodes can crash. You can have messages being dropped. Uh, so that's one of the complexities. And another complexity is that actors instead, they're communicating by these asynchronous messages. Whereas with objects, we, we it's a much more well understood model where you just have threads that are working with these data structures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so circling back what, what what's the problem of garbage collection it's that you'll spawn an actor and it will do some work and then eventually you'll forget about that actor you know
0: right. um
1: and then it, it might just cause a memory leak if you spawn too many actors the reason you would spawn all these actors is to get lots of parallelism because all of these actors can actually execute in parallel so I'll, mm-hmm. you know I, I have this big task i'll spawn 10 actors and they'll each work on a part of the task um and then i'll get parallelism that way but the problem is that um Eventually, you know, I need to get rid of these actors, and in some cases, it's very easy to do. I mean, it's just like the memory uh, reclamation problem in in classical uh, in classical systems. It's just like the memory reclamation problem in classical yep. systems, in that it seems like it's a very straightforward thing to do—to just clean up your memory when you're done with it. But <laughs> we 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 make mistakes all the time, and so we yep. we create these memory leaks. Another complication though with actors is the concurrency for example i think that this actor has done its work and i say go actor uh you're done i I garbage collect you but it turns out that somebody else somewhere else in the system needed that actor to be alive in order to do something and so you can have these kind of races from doing this uh garbage collection and so that's like a huge source of bugs i don't have a statistic in front of me but it's a a huge pain whenever I tell people like I'm working on actor garbage collection they're like oh that's so great that's so exciting haha yeah so so that's
0: one thing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: actually one thing that that is usually when I hear people working on on parallelism it's something that really makes me very excited because we don't realize that we don't have that much you know like parallelism is a hard very very hard problem and it's it's very far from being solved, right? It's if it's ever solved and we don't it's it's a really active field of research because we don't know how to do things properly yet. And there's a lot of lot of, of open problems and they're very, very hard. I remember when I was starting the PhD and my advisor was looking in some, into some parallel programming problems and I started doing some research there. I'm gonna confess. I got really bored about it because it's so hard that I don't. I don't even know how to how, where to begin looking. Right, like I would read these papers and I'm like, "Shit, what the fuck? What what is going on?" Right. So that's how I
1: feel about type theory.
0: <laughs> oh, come on, come on! You work with languages. You're doing some stuff right there. It's not that bad. I I, I actually uh,
1: wanted to do type theory when I started out in grad yeah, school and, um. But it, it was all Greek to me. I, I couldn't. I couldn't understand what was going well, on. So I, I kind of sank into Greek. the after thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know that's the joke that I'm trying to make.
0: <laughs>
1: it's it's funny that one of our best type theorists uh, working today is actually he got his undergrad in I think like Greek literature or something like that. Cool. John Sterling, right? Did you know he really? had like a like a classical literature that. degree?
0: Hmm. Wow. That's incredible. He was. I, yeah, we I were know. talking. I, yeah, I'm so this... jealous
1: of when somebody had the nerve to do a really cool bachelor's degree, like in like classical literature, and then they ended up in the same place or better than where I ended up. It's like I did all this <laughs> terrible <laughs> Python programming. I had to sort so many lists in undergrad, mm-hmm. and you got to talk about Chaucer or something. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Oh well, John is so cool.
0: That's another point about being in academia. You're always comparing yourself so much with other people that, like, we are surrounded by extremely, extremely smart and seemingly well, account- well. Maybe, maybe it's it's a it's a bad word to use, but we don't actually know the other people's struggles, right? We all we have is this shiny twitter that nobody has well okay everyone has a lot of problems in twitter but we (laughs) we think (laughs) we think everyone is like super cool doing extremely cool stuff and that everyone is so much more smart than we are and the reason for that is because you know like i'm not saying i'm really not saying that jonathan is not extremely smart and i also admire him a lot you know but um it's I don't know. I've been I've been trying really hard to not compare myself with other people because that's a no-gain game, game, you know? Like it, it always just makes us feel bad and and I don't know. You got my point, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really paradoxical thing about that I found about our area is that we should be we came into this area because we love the topic. We love talking yep. about it and we yep. love thinking about it. Mm-hmm. but there's a certain extent to which sometimes seeing people talk about it, things very intelligently makes us feel kind of bad. And that's a <laughs> like, that's, that's such right. a sad, it's such a sad thing.
0: I agree. It gets, it gets to the point where, you know, like it's, it's as if, you know, like it turns, it's, things are going great and everything is, is good. And we're talking about great stuff, but there is a, a turning point where it's just like, starts getting dark, right? Like, I love what I'm doing. I love what 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 this is about. And then people start getting extremely smart and talking about things, and I start getting lost. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm lost, and and I'm dumb. I'm really dumb, and I'm never gonna be nobody in this field. Right? <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just anxiety talking. It's 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 tough to be in academia, but I think I think I think it's 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 part of the process too. Because as I said, we're surrounded by extremely extremely smart people and this thing that you were talking about of we're here because we love what we're doing there's also there's also one one thing that we have to realize is that yes we are usually you know like we people in academia are usually very very passionate about what we are doing yes but you have to realize that now that we're in in it this is work and work is not only a field of flowers work there's also problems with it there's also you know like the nasty details the nasty parts and you have to deal with with you know like sometimes in the department there's going to be some people that are that you don't want to deal with and but that's also part of your work so that's why that's why i um began this saying that we need to to have other hobbies and other things too going us for going on for us because this is work right and as anything, when you do too much, you start getting tired of it, right? Have you ever eaten a food so much that you cannot stand looking at it for like months, right? That sometimes, <laughs> sometimes research can be like that. I I reached that point at some point. That's that's why I took a sabbatical year here in Brazil. It's not a year; it was ten months, but it did it did wonder to me, and I I feel like I'm ready to come back and you know like be extremely productive and passionate again about what I do because I know I'm passionate, right? I just had felt I just got to a point where I ate too much of the same thing, right? I cannot stand it. Have anymore. you talked
1: on the podcast about your sabbatical about that process that you went through? No. Because I think that could that could you know be really interesting for people. I think a lot of people I mean everybody suffers burnout in various kinds of ways and, and you and it was you and there there was another um a a PhD student from UBC uh, she recently also like took a brief sabbatical for herself. Was you know who it I'm talking
0: about? Ballette?
1: Yes. Have you Krankovic. spoken to Pollet?
0: Yeah, she was my my friend. Well, I hope she's still my friend. <laughs> she, <laughs> we we were colleagues, and when we were doing internship at Galois, and we would sit next to each other, it was awesome because our our people there was extremely. Um, friendly, we would hang out literally all the time. Every single weekend, we would be out partying. <laughs> and Galloway is an extremely amazing place. Um, yeah, I remember seeing that she also took a sabbatical. I don't know how long it was. I don't know much detail. I, I haven't talked to her much ever since. But um, what do you think would be cool to talk about it? What, do you, what would you like to know about it? I'd let's reverse. Like let's reverse yeah. things. You are now the interviewer. Go.
1: That's how I thought we were going to start things. I should have read out, welcome to the Type Theory for All podcast. I'm your host, is... Dan Plukin. Um, yeah, so what I wanted <laughs> I to know, this. Pedro, <laughs> what I wanted to know, Pedro, is how how did you come to... So I'm, I'm, I want to be careful about this question because it's obviously a very personal topic, at, at least I would assume that it would be, is what were you feeling that caused you to want to take a break from the PhD, how and what did it take to like there were probably times where you felt like doing that before and you didn't. And then there came to a point where you did decide you wanted to do that. And how did that happen? So that's multiple questions, but
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go with it. First of all, thank you thank you for asking this question. I usually I actually keep things to myself because I feel like my life is not super, super cool. But one thing that I've been learning is that things can be pretty cool on my side too, you know? And especially because maybe maybe I'll get into more details later, but I'm Brazilian, right? And one thing that I learned outside of Brazil that we don't realize here in Brazil is that Brazil is pretty damn cool. <laughs> and we don't realize it here, which which is insane. But I've been. I've been enjoying a lot my time here and actually I've been learning things that I wouldn't have if I didn't go, if I wasn't in abroad, if I wasn't out of Brazil. Okay. So coming back to your question, how did I, how did I come to this decision to take the sabbatical? It's, yes, it's, it's a really hard decision. It's, and it's not something that you hear it often, right? Like you don't hear that a PhD student is taking a sabbatical. I don't think, I don't think that's even the right word, right? Because about, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> what is Normally, this you hear
1: thing? the PhD student went and started a bakery instead. <laughs> they just like blasted right. out.
0: Okay, so um, I have to start by saying that COVID was really tough for me. <laughs> it was it was really tough for everyone. Um, maybe it wasn't. If if I compare myself to other people, it wasn't that bad. But one thing that definitely happened was that I went through a burnout process, right? And maybe it was a good thing because it made me reconnect a lot with my spirituality. I've been all, I've always been a very spiritual person and, you know, like studying metaphysical things. I'm, I'm the religion called spiritism and, you know, like we believe that there are some things that we receive communications from the dead and things like that, which is a really big thing in Brazil. But um, I was, I was very, you know like disconnected with my spirituality and during during covid i i really i I actually when covid started i actually called my mom and i'm like mom i want to come back to brazil i'm gonna back things up and i'm gonna spend this time with with you with family right because i was really afraid to be alone i was alone one time in when i was doing an exchange in, in australia and it was so hard and I was really afraid to be to be in that place again. I think I went through depression, but it wasn't I didn't have a psychologists to to, you know, like go through that. You're gonna say something? No, 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 sorry. And then and then I, I was I was really afraid to, to go through it by myself, right? Because I would have to be isolated and pretty much just just working. You couldn't even go out of home anymore and and I had a really a really old grandmother, which made me even more anxious, you know like what is gonna happen she's gonna get this disease yada yada um I'm not gonna go through too much of that, but at the end of the day i i really i really started having panic attacks and like extreme anxiety right and then wow. i started i started talking with with the, I, that's when I started therapy that's when I started meditating, and the reason why i'm talking i'm telling you all of this is because you know, like it really made me reconnect and and really appreciate the importance of mental health, right? Because without mental health, you cannot do anything without, without health, you cannot do anything. Health is, you know, like basilar, without health, you, you you cannot, you know, like you, you cannot work, you cannot, you cannot play, you Mm -hmm. cannot talk, right? And mental health is health. So that made me really, really value health. Okay. And that being said. I was actually, you know, like I started. I started then really, really crushing through 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 my my research, which I have plans to talk a little more about it in a second. But basically, I'm I'm doing some stuff, you know, like with compiling inductive data types between languages, which I, I actually think, from the bottom of my heart, that is extremely extremely cool thing to be doing. I really love what I'm doing. But as I mentioned a few uh, a, a little bit ago. I've done it too much, right? Like I would, I, there would be some days that I would work eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day because I wouldn't feel that I was productive. So I kept, I just kept pr- crushing and pushing and pushing. And the one thing about doing home office is that you don't realize how productive you are being, right? Because when you're in an actual office, you take breaks, you talk to people, you go out and you have coffee, you you take a lunch break, right? When you're doing it home office, it's like, for me, it was work, 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 work. Lunch work, 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 right? And you know, like I would I would look back, wow, Monday I was I was this much productive. I, I have to be productive again this much on Thursday. And what I wouldn't realize is that no, you cannot. There's only so much so much juice you can get out of this lime here, right? So I started I, I really started, you know, like um, losing this feel. And it was it was many it was more than than a year so there was 2020 when when all this was happening there was 2021 and i i really you know like for a whole year i started feeling very very unproductive and i would i'll try many many things and i wouldn't i wouldn't get this this excitement out of my research anymore i tried i tried many many things i tried i tried to i probably edit some some of these things out because i think it's already started being boring but um the important thing is that I tried a lot of things that I thought could be, could help me with my productivity because at this point I really, I really thought, okay, now I'm really not being productive, right? I think like I was getting one or two, work, two hours of work done a day, right? That's, that's, that's really, really little and I wanted to do more and I tried many things to do to do more and I, I couldn't, like I, I I was done, right? <clears throat> so as I said, I started, um, I added meditation in my, in my routine and it was really good because it really helped me to to relax and to clean my mind and and I learned many, many different techniques. But um one day, one day I was sitting down meditating and I was extremely frustrated with with the quality of research that I was doing. And again, I was really happy with what I was doing, but I was frustrated that I wasn't getting out as much as I as I wish, right? I know that I that I that I could do better, right? You <clears throat> know, I'm, I'm not. I was not even trying to compare myself with anyone or anything. It's just like by my own, my own measures, I I wasn't satisfied with how things were, were going on, and I really felt that I that I really tried everything that I could. I tried I tried really everything that I could to to change the situation. So I took a really really honest look into into myself, and I did I did this following question. If you could do anything you want at this moment. If you forget about your mom, forget about your advisor, forget about the world, forget about money, forget about literally everything, everything. What do you want? And only one thought came to my mind. I wanted to be on a waterfall in Brazil. That was it. That was, this was like as, as bright as a very shining light in the middle of nowhere. I knew that this is what I wanted, right? And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Once you know what you actually want... You just have to work through it. So I literally just stood up and I went to a website looking for, can I take a time off for my PhD? And I figured out that I can take two semesters off, blah, 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 sent some emails and I made it work and I came to Brazil. Uh, I had some money, some reserve, and, and that's that's how it came about. And it's, it's really been one of the best things I've, I've done for myself, really. And it's been... It, it, it's it's really hard it's really hard because it's a hard conversation that you have to have with your with your advisor right it was it wasn't easy because i know that he has expectations on me he's not a tenure track and i would have to call my mom and say hey mom i'm coming back home uh, how do you feel about it and i really i really feel like i i, I'm, I was failing right like telling dad that, that i was failing but i mom's just so magnificent that she was just happy. She was just, if that's what you want, yes, come. I'm very happy that, and she understood. She knew what I was going through, right? She knew what I've, like, my, my struggles. And and maybe not many people talk about it, but living in another country is not easy. Even in another country, you're always outside of your comfort zone. You're always learning. You're always, you know, like, it's not only about another language, it's about another way to talk and treat people it's another way to you know like you know how, how we say hi in brazil to people we hug if it's if it's a boy saying hi to a girl we give a kiss in the chick what day in on earth is that gonna happen in in the u.s i'm literally afraid of of hugging people in the US.
1: that would be your last day in the u.s <laughs> before you get deported
0: yeah <laughs> Dude, some days I literally feel like, okay, that's it. Today I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be deported. <laughs> right? Dude, I have I have some really funny 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 stories about things, you know, like cultural shocks, like it's, it's cultural clashes, maybe it's the, the right the right way to put it. Because things are just different, right? And you know, just that that's how I leave for, for four years and you just start getting very tired because dude, I just wanna chill, right? I just wanna come home. I just wanna have friends and, and relax, man. I just, just wanna just wanna relax. So coming back home, I can do that. I'm I'm I know what, what I know what is the expectations. I know how to behave. I know how to do things, right? I can relax.
1: It's been really inspiring to me seeing well. Inspiring and also making me really jealous to see you on Instagram, like every now and then, like in front of a waterfall. <laughs> I'm like, why? <"What?" laughs> can he be a little bit less satisfied with this decision? But it seems like you're mm-hmm. like you
0: really. um. Before like we continue, you, let's, you, uh-huh. let's zoom in. Let's zoom in in that feeling of the waterfall for a second, because I really want to share this. But the mm-hmm. day I took I took a month to live in a place near here. I, I live in Brazil, right? I took a month to go to the woods and live in a place surrounded by waterfalls. There are probably like 100 or 200 waterfalls in, a mile, in like a 100-mile radius. It's an insane amount of waterfalls. So I moved there. I rented a place for a month. And I was hiking every other day, you know, like 10, 12, 15 miles a day. And the first day I went out and I went to the to waterfall. I felt the water it's like it's an extremely cold water in an extremely hot day and you're very tired already because you hiked a lot so like imagine you are walking for one hour and then you see this this water going by that is is very very cold and like the 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 sun is extremely hot and like you're very hot and you, you pick the water and you put your head on it dude I literally felt that all my problems in the world was gone. All my stress was taken away from my soul, and just took down that river, right? And I, I, actually, I actually cried this day. So much relief and so much happiness for doing this decision, right? So, yes, I couldn't be any happier with it. And I wanted to share it. it.
1: That's really beautiful. I, I, I love the way you you put that whole story. Um, I'm, I'm proud of you for for having done all that. And and you're oh, still thanks, standing, man. you know, like everybody, it, it feels like it's the end of the world, right? When you were, when you were contemplating this, what's going to happen? What if, what's my advisor going to think? What are my parents going to think? And here you are and you look great, <laughs> you know, you're happy and, and, and you're coming back to the States uh, in a month, right?
0: I am, but I went through a lot of, in your work here, I I we re- re- found myself in a way, and and it's it's crazy. But um, at this point, like I said, that I was in the in this in this in the woods, you know, like living close to the waterfalls. And at this point, I was waiting for the for for the result of a submission that I had on CPP certified programs, uh, certified. Pipolian programs. <laughs> I don't remember. And and to my demise, it was rejected. And it was it was really, really tough for me this day. Um, I really didn't expect because you know, like I put so much work, I put so much effort. And at this point, I I I had to face a really hard decision in my life because you know I I had to come back to the US and to finish the PhD, I pretty much would need three more papers. That's kind of like the expected, right? And this is my first paper and it was rejected twice. And the reviewer seemed to have liked it even worse the second time, you know, like he asked for a lot, a lot of revisions. And I have to come back to the US and put one more year of work into this and not know what's going to happen and that really freaked me out that really freaked me out and i had to to find what i wanted to do at that point right and what i found that i wanted to do is that i i'm really unsatisfied with the place that i'm at so what what is the path forward um it's not only it's not only about the research but you know like i think i think i realized i don't i don't really feel the us I think the US is too much for me. People work work too much, man. It's just work, 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 work. People even, you know, like put work in front of their their families, work in front of their their friends. And that's not me. That's not me. I cannot I cannot do that. I cannot do that. and it's impossible for me to not compare with the other people around me because I will literally feel that I'm not you know, like in this environment I feel that I'm not enough. I really feel like I'm not enough because everyone is, is, is putting more of their skin into the game. It's like they have more into it, but this is not me. This is not me. So the dec- the decision that I made was that I would go back to the US and I would just finish a master's at, because I don't have a master's yet. I'll finish a master's and find something else. So I actually have uh, huge news for my for my listeners. If if he could survive all all of this but um i am planning to do some you know like after the masters i am planning to invest a lot more in the podcast so there will be a lot of really good news coming up stay tuned
1: possibly merchandise
0: <laughs> you know i was actually lo- i actually i actually looked into it and merchandise was actually really hard for me to do because of some bureaucracy in brazil and you know like i actually started studying some drop ship drop shipping stuff or blah, blah blah but you know did you know that uh, um i'm on an f1 visa in the US, so i cannot actually work so i cannot actually monetize my podcast there while I'm i'm a student there so when i come back i cannot you know like i have to um but um I have plans to eventually start doing some some actual merchandise, you know, like shirts or, you know, those those sort of cool things, bands and mm-hmm. and notebooks. It will happen. It will happen eventually. Mm-hmm.
1: So now, Pedro, um, as as your second question on my podcast, I understand that you've been doing some research <laughs> on inductive uh, inductive data types. Um, can you tell me a little bit why you're a good person to talk about inductive data types?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. I've been doing I've been doing research in inductive data types since since COVID since a little before COVID and it was really fun because well it was actually sad I was extremely excited to go to France to do this this part of the research because Nomadic Labs had hired me and I was traveling to Paris everything was worked out but COVID hits and I'm stuck in the US for the summer and I worked on it since. Ever since, right? Like for two whole years, a little bit more. So our goal, there, there was this. I, I actually talked a little bit. I think it was the first episode. It came out at the end of 2020. And the work I was doing is to translate part of OCaml to Cock. This is really exciting to me, as I said multiple times, and I'm saying again. But the in particular, we wanted to translate GADTs, uh, generalized algebraic data types from OCaml to Coq. And this was and this was particularly hard because of how types are different. You know, like the, the structure of types is kind of different of how they work in OCaml and how they work in Coq. And there wasn't a really, you know, like clean solution on how to do this translation from OCaml to Coq. In particular, in particular, pattern matching, you know, like in the presence of GADTs, you can have these things called impossible branches. In OCaml, some branches of, of your pattern matching are just impossible. And you can literally not write them down. You can literally elide them. And it's a really cool feature in OCaml and that's used a lot in, in this code base that we were trying to translate. And there wasn't a really clean solution on how to do this translation, right? So this is what I was hired and. And I was I was a good fit because before this I was doing some translation from Sadil, to Chakok with iron stump and my advisor and actually this uh, there was this project that I started doing called cockadil and I was working on it for this semester and I was putting a lot of thought into you know like translation of Pattern matching already before I was even hired, right? So I talked to them, and we we thought that this is something that we could work together to find a good solution for this. So I spent I spent probably like a year doing this, you know, like trying to find a good a good way for doing this translation. So
1: could could you uh, talk a little bit about um, why you couldn't do this exhaustiveness checking? It's exhaustiveness checking, right? Why you couldn't yes. do exhaustiveness checking in in Cock?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the thing the thing about about Coq and the thing about OCaml, that there there is a there's a, a key difference of how things work there, especially type checking. You know, like because OCaml type checker has much more information than cock. Coq is very conservative about you know like inferring that two types are the same or not like very very conservative and that's a good thing because because of that you can do things like homotopy type theory which we can maybe touch a little more later but the key here is that it's not you know like you really really need to be very sure that two types are the same for cock to to agree that two types are the same right so we really have to convince Coq. You have to do a lot of convincing for Coq to, to agree that two types are the same. And the key thing about JDTs is that, okay, so let's talk a lot about about JDTs for a second. JDTs is a kind of ADTs. And what is ADTs it is algebraic data types. Don't get confused with abstract data types that sometimes also go for ADTs, but we're talking about algebraic data types here. And algebraic data types are basically a way to, to build a new type, right? And how you build those this new type is with something called constructors. And in order to do this cleanly, you want your constructors to have a couple of a couple of properties. That I'm not going to get too much into details. You can look on on Cox PhD thesis, which I extremely advise if you're interested in this in this because he it's actually pretty pretty well written and, and very understandable. But you want you want your constructors to have some key properties and. The key here is that with regular ADTs, all constructors are going to build the same type, right? It's going to build a type. But with GADTs, your constructors can build different kinds of type, right? So you're not actually defining a type, but you're defining something that is called a type family. And it's it's as if you're putting, you're in, in this type, you're putting a for all at the beginning, right? So instead of defining T, you're defining for all X, T of X something like like that right it's actually it's actually a function it's actually something that once you provide me what this x is now i have i have this type that 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 you're building and that's the key about JDTs, is you're going to ask
1: well so it's a it's a type that's parameterized by another yeah. type uh-huh but it's not it's not like in haskell where or or ocaml well so ocaml has and and haskell they both have gadt's where it's like list of a, and it's just for any a you can have list of a. That's With a... GADTs, you can have s- some a's are are you can't have, for example, or how so does that the work? Thing,
0: the thing the thing about about lists is that the 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 construct the type constructed by the constructors are still symmetrical. They're still building the same list. All of those lists you're building are lists of a.
1: I'm not sure I quite follow that. Think, can, you, can you give a specific a little... example of a GADT? Would that would that help?
0: Well, yeah, of course. For example, you uh there is a way that you can define a vector with JDTs. Mm-hmm. And why is that where it's a vector because...
1: is a finite list?
0: So in the vector, you just by looking at the type of your element, you know exactly what the size of the list is. Okay. That's what a vector is. So it carries around the size of of your thing, right? It's a list indexed. Uh, list in, it's 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 indexed by its size, right? that's that can be done by j d t because there is a way that you can that you can do the piano numbers in the type system right you can say that s s of o um, s of of something is 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 a type and also o is a type right so you can parameterize by those those two things right so you can count mm-hmm. the amount of s in the type the type of your so vector. your
1: your type would say this is a vector containing five elements that would be yeah the
0: type yes. Okay. That would be the type, exactly, exactly. Another really good example of a JDT is expressions that carry what, what are their kinds, right? So let's think about, about an expression that has, you know, like, um, booleans and numbers, right? So an expression, you know, like that can be, here are the constructors of my expression. So the first construction say that the expression can be true the second one says the expression can be false. The other one says that the expression can be a natural number. And the last one, I don't know, like, you could, well, one more one more way is that you could have an expression that takes two other expressions and do their, their, their end. The other one could take their, or you could have an expression that is a sum, that is a multiplication, things like that, right? Like a, a small little language, right? that does some some funny things. The good thing about JDTs is, is that each one of these constructors now can carry around what kind of expression you're building, right? So for the for the constructors that build boolean, you could carry around and say that now this is an expression of boolean. And some functions can only be you can only work with expressions that are boolean, right? So if, um, and other and other other functions, you could just work with expressions that are, that are natural numbers, right? That you know that inside there can only be natural numbers. So on the type system, you know, the only way you could build sum, you know, like the constructor sum of an expression can only take two other expressions that are already expression of natural numbers. So there's an extra, guarantee, another layer of type safety that you can have on, on the level of type checking, right? On, when you're building your expression, You can only build it if it actually makes sense, you know? So JDTs is a great source of, um, we we call it, how we we say is that it's a great source of lightweight formal verification, right? Because you don't have to go all the way down to COG, but you can gain more guarantees out of your type system with JDTs. And that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Now let's go back to your question. The, The original question was, why? Why is it hard to, to do this translation? Okay, now we understand a little better what what JDTs are, and if you're still a little confused, I suggest that you pause it and go to a Haskell or OCaml tutorial to look at JDTs now. Um, but it's not it's not super super necessary. I think I think the argument here can be made either way. But the the, the key here now is to realize that your JDTs they carry around they carry around some typing information, right? So, as I said, is an expression of something, right? So, there's this of something is is it's a typing information, right? And the, the the key the key issue here, the heart of the problem in doing this translation now, is because every every one of your types is very in OCaml it's very easy for you to to discriminate between types. It's very easy for you to say that net and boolean are different. It's very very easy. It's very easy because all that the type checker has to do is like is it the same name? You're done, right? Because because they they're going to be they're going to be cheated different because they're there there is going to be a different way they were defined and therefore they they they're done, right? But in Coq, this is not the case. This cannot be the case because th- as I said things like homotopy type theory would make no sense, right? Because okay um, now, in order for you to convince the type checker that these two, this, this two things are different, oh, sorry, let me take a step back a little bit. Why is this, why is why it important to discern these the different, the different types? It's because, okay, do you remember that I said that some functions now can only work with booleans, right? Some functions can only work with expression of boolean, right? And everything that is not an expression of boolean, you can ignore, so when you're pattern matching there, You don't even have to talk about expressions of natural numbers because because when you're pattern matching, you say, okay, my X is an expression of Boolean and I'm pattern matching this. So the only constructors that make sense are this, this and this because they will construct an expression of Boolean, right? And you can literally ignore your expression of natural number. And why is this possible? Because when you're building this exhaustivity, the type checker is going to look, is net equal to boolean? No, you can ignore it. So that's the, the key. That's the, the heart of the issue. That's the heart of the issue. Is doing this, this type checking on the exhaustivity of your pattern matching. And I wanna I wanna make a parenthesis here to really, to really um talk a little bit about exhaustivity and how exhaustivity is very important because. This is something that, that bothers me a little bit in Haskell, for example, because maybe maybe I'm wrong and there are ways to get around with it or maybe it has changed ever. It's been a while I don't use Haskell to be completely honest, but last time I, I used it, exhaustivity was not on by default and this really pisses me off. This really pisses me off because, because you're literally throwing away a really important part of your type checking. This is literally type checking your pattern matching. This is exhaustivity is type checking of your pattern matching. If you turn it off, you're mm-hmm. literally turn you're, you're throwing away part of your type checker, right? So you're throwing away typing information, and and I don't like it. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the whole thing I'm doing is like to, to gain this sort of thing, and Haskell just just throws away again. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if this has changed, or maybe I'm I'm bringing this up from from my from my head. Please, if you're listening to this, let let us know if I'm wrong, but. Okay, let's go back. So the this this translation now you, you see you're starting to understand why this translation is so hard, is because in in OCaml it's hard to discern between between these these types, right? Uh, in Co- so here's here's the thing in Coq you can also you can you can prove that Nat is different than Boolean, but in order to do that there is this cardinality argument, you know, like you have to show that they have different number of elements. You can do it, yeah. You're you're doing a a very expressive phase, but you can you can prove it. But it's not on well, the I'm surprised
1: time. that you have to, in order to show that nat is not equal to bool, you have to reason about the number of elements as an incredible yeah. roundabout kind of way of doing it. Well,
0: how else, how else would you prove it?
1: Well, one's got true in it. And the <laughs> what is that true? That doesn't have true in it. Hmm. Um, but I guess that, that, that's the way that uh, cock allows things to have multiple types. Is that right?
0: Well... Pre- now, 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 things are are starting to get really interesting because the heart of the problem now is an even more hard problem, which is equality. The more you look into equality, the harder, the harder you notice it is. Like it seems ext- very, very trivial at first glance, but the, the harder you try to put your finger on how trivial it is, the harder it is to to do that. Right. So, um. You have to be re- when we're talking about about this level of of type theory going down to equality. You have to be really, really precise. What do you mean by equality? There are many different ways to define what you mean. Like there is Leibniz equality, there is um, functional extensionality, for example. There is there there is propositional equality. There is heterogeneous equality. There is there, there, there are different ways to talk about what do you mean by things to be equivalent? What do, what do you mean by things to be the same, right? And when we're talking about types, that gets even harder, right? It's really, it's, it's really hard. So, uh, it's, it's so it's so hard that there was, uh, there was a PhD student that is now a professor, Jasper Cox, that his whole PhD thesis was to turn off one axiom using type, uh, type checking, pattern matching in Agda, and this is called the K-axiom. And his whole PhD thesis is to not rely on the K- K-axiom in order to, to actually do this type checking of pattern matching. And wh- why is this important? Is because the, the K-axiom is incompatible with homotopy type theory. So we all, go, and again, homotopy type theory, as far as I can understand, the main concern about homotopy type theory is equality, right? It's paths and it's how, things are related to each other. So his whole PhD thesis, which again, I, I recommend the user interested in this to read is to turn off the K axiom from Agda and, and be able to, to do all this. And what the K axiom is doing is really you know, like um, turns out that the K axiom is equivalent to this other axiom called uniqueness of identity of proofs, which pretty much is saying that any ID, any identity, any anything that goes back to itself are the same any any loop that you can do to, to go back to itself any x equal x are are the same proofs all these proofs are the same It turns out that this is this is not good in, in homotopy type theory because in homotopy type theory you know like there are many ways you can construct this loop right you could there is a transitivity from x to y to y to z and z back to x this must be different from x to x because because you know like these are different these are different paths because it has more arrows things like that so okay um let's let's go back and see if i answered the question the the question is why translating pattern matching was is hard was that correct
1: um i think my question was um yeah. So why why don't you why can't the whole point was about exhaustiveness checking and why can't you get exhaustiveness checking in COC? And I think the explanation was that in order to do exhaustiveness checking, you need to know if type A is equal to type B, and you can't right.
0: do that in COC. You can. But- but you have to provide that proof. You have to do oh, that yeah, proof you have, to, you have to prove it. That's the hard right? thing. So, right, so right. kind of and
1: as as long as we had um an amazing mechanism that could for any two types tell you if those two types are equal or not, then the problem of translating OCaml to cock would be solved.
0: Kind of, because you still have to provide that proof, right? You have to actually still yeah. during during the translation, you have to build that 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 difference, right? And this is So this do you is guys also have to
1: Construct that proof? Is that what you guys did?
0: (sighs) Yes, but (laughs) we were smart about what we had to do along the way. So now it comes to the solution. And what what happened is that so the hard problem is to prove that two types are different, right? What if what if I just have to prove that two values are different? That's very different. It's 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 subtle but proving that two values are different is is easy. Right? Interesting. So is it? the okay. key here is to be smart on how you translate the indexes of your JDT, right? So one thing one thing that I want to that I want to stop a little bit is to draw the difference between an index and an and a parameter in a in an inductive data type. So a parameter is like that A in the list that you said. The parameter is when you have something that is abstract, but all your constructors are gonna are gonna return are gonna build a type with that A, right? All of them are gonna are gonna build a type with that A. An index is when at least one of your constructors are not gonna build this A. It's gonna build something else. For example, an int, right? So this 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 A now cannot be a parameter because not all of your constructors are building the same thing, right? Your parameter, all the constructors oh, have I to have to be of this type C of A, right? Okay. This C of A. Okay. So <clears throat> you are in now. Now we're talking about indexes, right? What if all my indexes are actually value, right? If I know what are the possible cases that my index can take, right? So in this case of 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 exp that i was talking the only indexes that this exp can have is uh, net and bool. so what if i have a data type that describes exactly that 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 the first one is 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 int and the other one is expression is is a bool, right and turns out that's a lot easier to do because now proving that the the constructors of these data types are different are, are it is easy because this is you remember when i said that your constructors you want them to have certain properties the property that the constructors cannot be the same each one constructor ha- must be different from each other this is a key property that you must have to have good good pattern matching right because otherwise all your pattern match would be the, like would, would go down to the same thing right so that's that's kind of the idea that i tried really hard for a year to work on is how can i change the indexes of my data types for something that is better behaved so okay um how can i change the indexes of my data types for something that is better behaved so i it was a lot of back and forth and then we, i think i finally came up with with a somewhat clean solution i'm not extremely extremely happy about how things came about but it was it, it was tricky. It was tricky. But the key here is that is to change the, the index to not be indexed by any type. You wanna constrain how it can be indexed so that so that you know how things can can differ there. So that was the key. We changed when we noticed that we are translating a JDT, we changed this this index to something better behaved, and then mm-hmm. When when we are translating an inductive data type, oh sorry, and then when we're translating a pattern match, we we translate the the body of the 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 pattern match in a in a smart way so that you embed the proof of 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 how this this index now can differ, or sometimes you can you, you also have to to cast things to the proper to their proper position, depending on how things are going. So that's the idea. We change the index of the data type, and then during pattern matching, we embed, we go there and we do a little proof there in line. We line a proof there with some LTEC. Like the it's a nice little strategy to make things type check cleanly. And we implemented so all I, of that.
1: I have I have three questions. One is is this is this a, a paper that's been published? Number two we forgot to mention what is the motivation for uh why you want to do this problem in the first place and three a tangent uh, but i'm very interested is why is it hard to tell the types are different but easy to tell the values are different um Mm -hmm. and if if we talk about the motivation for the ocaml stuff you can you you might you could explain it and then move it to the beginning of the discussion because i just realized that if anybody's listening they're like wait wait why is he doing this translation
0: Nah, you know, this is something that I've been thinking about lately. Uh-huh. Actually, um, there was someone on Twitter the other day saying that he would like to see papers that better explain the motivation of why they're doing this type of things. You know, like, and I wanted I wanted to talk about it for a second. I I honestly think that we should be less concerned about motivation when we're doing research. Research is supposed to be, you know, like just just researching things. That's that's how math works, right? Uh, I know that many some people will disagree, but this is this is my personal view. I think I think research should be done by the sake of research, and that's how things go forward. If you are interested or you're, you're curious on something, you you should be able to do research on this because you never know what is going to spawn out of it, right? But okay, but in this particular case, there was a company doing some work for Tezos, and this company is called Nomadic Labs. And they were they were actually, so all this JDT stuff that I was talking about with this express, they were actually trans- trying to translate some expressions in the, um, what's the name? They had this smart contract language and they have an interpreter for this smart contract all written in OCaml. And they wanted to do this translation to Cox so that they could reason about it. So that's actually a pretty strong motivation. And in the paper, we actually show how our translation could actually translate a couple of of new data types and a couple hundreds new new functions. Right, that was pretty cool. But that that is yeah. really cool.
1: You should you mm-hmm. should include the link to the paper in the show notes. Or, it was rejected. The there is no is. paper.
0: There's no paper. What are you talking no, about? But this it is really rejected. cool. It's not it's not, it's not an archive. Well, tell that to the rejectors, man. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, it's cool, but it's not enough, right? There's, there I, I totally agree with you missing. about this motivation
1: thing. I, I mean, it's yeah. it's such a it's such a pain. I mean, well, it, so here's the thing. It's one of the things uh, not that only, takes not the only, joy out of. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Not only I implemented all of this, but I started doing the actual proofs of why all of this works. And um, I'm not gonna say it's the best proof. And I agree with the reviewer that there are some some open things here and there. And these proofs are can be very messy. They can, but yeah. Um, i have I have some some actual proofs, and some of them are a little messy, but but things as somebody should, should who's currently writing
1: that. a thesis that is just a total nightmare of proofs, I have developed a a, a philosophy that proofs are only going to get harder. It's just it's the twenty first century. We've done yep. all the easy proofs. It's just going to be yep. garbage, horrible nightmare proofs. Things that are true for absolutely no reason, and some grad student <laughs> right? just did out yep. did out all these steps. And they did it in mm-hmm. Cox, so so you yep. know you can kind of trust them. I think, um, yeah, that, that's a, so that's there... a weird thing. And for a long time, i I was really impeded in my productivity because I thought I had to get everything perfect. I had to find uh, people. People talk about proofs from the book. Have you heard about this? It's like God has a big book of proofs. Somewhere on his shelf, what? and if somebody well, says that this is a really great proof, they'll say it's a proof from the book, from God's book. And I thought, like every single theorem, it should have a proof that's in the book. It should have a perfect, beautiful proof. And then I've I've decided, in in order to graduate, I needed to shake that uh, that belief from my that mind. Thought.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, actually, th- this this was something that I was that I was thinking the other day because there is this, you know, like. Um, platonical approach to the abstract realm of of mathematics and how things already exist in this beautiful realm, and we're just discovering math right especially in the other one theory. and the other the other people they think that no, everything that we're doing we're inventing it on the go and i I've, I've, I've put some thought into it, and I believe that my personal belief uh, currently it's in the middle it's right in the middle because i think part of it yes we're discovering and part of it yes we are we are just we're just you know like crushing crushing the button to make things type check right because here's the thing a lot of how things are 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 put are put forth it requires a lot of creativity it requires you know like coming up with a language coming up with a language requires creativity on how you're going to you're going to put you're going to lay out your your things right but then once once you set the game once you set the language how you want it to be then you're really constrained on how to do the proofs and how to do the type checking and how to do things that's the discovery part right but really coming up with with the rules of the game that's the discovery that's the, the creativity part and I think I think math is really both because what how I see math is just this huge Monopoly game, this huge board game, right? Just a set of rules made up by mathematicians that we just play them out. So we take the axioms that we want to work with and we play them out, right? But the key here is realizing that you can choose whatever axioms you want as long as they make sense, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this and this is the beauty that that we got, you know, like, Non Euclidean surfaces, right they just get read got rid of one of Euclid's axiom, I think the fourth the fifth one, or something like that, and they they they're like yeah we don't we don't want to play with this axiom anymore. let's change it and then they have a, a new set of math, and that's a whole new game to play, and that's that's what Einstein used for coming up with the theory of relativity right yeah, I think beautiful? that's one of the
1: most beautiful things about uh, logic. Or, or whatever that I learned is that it's really, you, you choose some bricks. You've got a brick that's shaped like a square. You've got a brick shaped like a triangle and all of your proofs are built from these particular shapes and yeah. you just make yep. towers of them. I think that's mm-hmm. like the, the key insight of that um, Jensen style proofs, right? Is that it's just right. brick by brick. It, yeah, It's kind of an interesting idea, but it's also, it's also kind of an aromantic idea. Like, like you said, like it's a little bit less than the platonic idea. Right. Of what proofs yeah. are, but nice from a computer science perspective, I guess. That's the thing. Everything and is just often trees.
0: enough it's just you know like crushing the no- crushing the numbers and trying to get things done. Right, it's just putting things together. Right, and that's where computers are gonna really shine. But a lot of a lot of it, I believe, is the creativity of putting the pieces together and saying, okay, this is the game we're gonna play. These are the axioms we're gonna play axioms that we're gonna play by and I really think that's a work of creativity. I
1: like that this uh, podcast is shaping up to be a very like kind of meta what is th- what is it like to be a grad student what is it like to do research and and be burned out. What is
0: math, right? We got what we is got even math? <laughs> but okay, let's go back to your to your initial question. There were two others and the first one that we just answered was that okay, why why is this a cool research? The second one was
1: Oh, I wanted I, I to know what was the name of the paper, <laughs> and sadly, I, it's it's not possible to find this work. Is nope. it possible to find the work? Oh, that's
0: nope. Doesn't exist well, other than my so... hard drive and my cloud. Please, I'm DM actually thinking Pedro, though, what what I can do it. this work. No, don't. I'm not. I'm not giving you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll. They'll just try and publish it. That's so sad. I will. No, 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 no. I will. I'll make it my master thesis. This is literally my master thesis we're talking about right oh, now. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm going to really polish things up and really really explain things detail by detail, and you're going to be able to read it in a very crappy English from a Brazilian. Good good deal, right? <laughs> I, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to read it. Awesome. Um,
1: and My my third question was about why is it hard to tell types are different but not hard to tell that values are different? And I, I think that that's like a whole spinoff conversation. Uh,
0: no, it's not. That we
1: may or may not talk about. But the... If if it's, I think it's one of the forward. things when I was when I was getting interested in type theory, I think I had a very hard time figuring out where the results were. You know, what are the? There's a lot of type theory that is kind of like, sort of implicitly taught through yeah. mm-hmm. one thing or another, Advisors, and I think this yeah. idea that it's hard part to tell of the values apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, say, there's like a this lot is part of part of the
0: folklore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if to I think one of the most helpful things to do is to provide more resources like that to say that look at this yeah. paper, look at this look Google this particular search term. Anyway.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's honestly what it in, in my point of view, it's what you get the most out of of grad school. Is literally going through that and being advised by someone who's been through that because some things are just, you know, like mouth tree knowledge. And it's honestly I think that's okay. It's not a bad thing. I think it's I think it's a good thing. Not necessarily a good thing, but it's it is part of the process. It's part of how knowledge is built, in my point of view. Yeah because it's part of a philosophy. Work? It's part of a school yeah, exactly. It's part of a school of philosophy, you know, like an advisor is teaching you how he thinks and part of how he thinks was thought to him by how his advisor thought. So it's you know, like this lineage of how to look. At things and problems, and I think that's really beautiful. And you know, uh, okay. So coming back, why looking at why at, at values is much easier than looking at the quality of types. And one thing that we have to realize is that we're talking about about CIC here. And what is CIC? Is Calculus of inductive constructors. What does that mean? It, it means that it's CoC with inductive data types, <laughs> and what's CoC? It's calculus of constructors, which, which you know, like it's just lambda calculus on huge steroids. Fun fact: I usually say steroids as asteroids, and Americans get really weird. And I'm like, why? <laughs> oh, my my dad is a Russian
1: mathematician, and he pronounces matrices or matrices as mattresses. And he teaches undergrads. He's like, we're going <laughs> to learn I about later algebra and mattresses.
0: <laughs> it took me a while to get that one. <laughs> I was like, mm. okay, I think, I think we're going to sleep a lot in his class, huh? <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so uh, we're talking about CIC inductive constructors. And what it means is that in order to build terms of particular types, we use something called inductive data types, which is the cern of all this that we're doing, right? And in order for inductive data types to be well-behaved, I mentioned a couple of times that it must hold a couple of properties. Two of them is injectivity and conflict. And what conflict does, you really want conflict. You really need to have conflict in order to have pattern matching. And what is conflict? Conflict is saying that any two constructors are different, period. If NAT has O and S, you must have that axiom that O and S are not the same. Otherwise, when you're trying to pattern match, you wouldn't pattern match. Like there wouldn't exist in pattern match because you couldn't you could you could not differentiate between them, right? That's what pattern matching is doing, is discriminating between your constructors, right? So this is exactly the reason why it's easy to to differentiate and prove that's, that two constructors are, that two values are, are different because constructors are how we build values in CIC, period.
1: And, but types aren't constructors, they're defined in terms of collections of constructors, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm just like trying to connect that to the idea of types being hard to, to compare with one another. And yeah. I, I I guess I, I'm coming from like this very like basic Haskell 101 understanding of what types are. And I think of a type as like Boolean is it's got true and it's got false, and it doesn't have anything else in it. Well, and true does not equal to zero, so true Boolean is not equal to NAT.
0: Well. <clears throat> but all I said is that <sighs> There are a couple of layers on this and this is actually a pretty good question. I'm not sure if I'll, I'll give a good answer and I'm not sure if it's the right answer. However, uh, one thing that we have to realize is that I, th- I said, I, I, I was talking about conflict where constructors cannot be the same, right? But I didn't say about, I didn't say much about constructors on different types, right? I uh-huh. didn't say that, na- that O has to be different than true. Oh, because think about really it. That's
1: really interesting. It's not necessarily?
0: I don't think so. I, I, can, I, I can be full of shit now. But think about it. <laughs> um, yeah, think about it. Uh, if you have, have bool that is made of true and false, and you have bool prime that is made of true prime and, and false prime, can you say that true is different than true prime? I don't know. You, you probably can, right? But can you say that, that bool is different than bool prime because of that? Can you see the problem? They're actually the same data type, yeah. but with different constructors, exactly as you mm. said, right?
1: They're Yeah, they're isomorphic. Hmm.
0: That's that's okay. the whole point. That's all we're talking, yeah. that's all we're, we're saying, you know, like, are, they, uh-huh. are these doing the same thing? Are not doing the same thing? What does it even mean for them to be the same, right? Yeah. Having different names suffices here? Maybe, I don't know. But if you're talking about homotopy type theory, where all of these, you know, like, you really need to, to carry about how these things are actually constructed, then yes, that makes a lot of difference mm. difference. That makes sense. I think that was that was what I pretty much wanted to talk about on on inductive data types unless you have more more questions. But one thing that I wanted to mention is that the first this is a little trivia but according to the history of Haskell, it's a paper that appeared in the history of programming languages, the HOPE. You know, like there is this this really cool conference that happens every five or 10 years, I'm not sure, it's called HOPE, the history of programming languages, and Yeah. And according, according to one of the papers that Haskell submitted talking about the history of Haskell, HOPE, a programming language that was de- developed in 19, in the 80s or in the 70s, but the paper came out in 1980, uh, is supposed to have been the first programming language to have invented ADTs, which I think is pretty cool. So the name of the paper is Hope, an Experimental Applicative Language. And they would call, it's, it's, it's interesting that they, they didn't say functional programming language, they would say applicative programming language, which seems to me to, to be something that really changed on time. We just talk about, we never talk about applicative programming language nowadays. That's 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 curious. Huh. Well, would APL
1: classify as a applicative programming language?
0: No hmm. idea. I know that Lisp would be applicative because it's kind of... Same idea, uh huh. Back
1: That's then,
0: phenomenal. yeah.
1: You've got acyclicity in in here in the notes, but
0: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So this is this is going a little deeper on the on the properties of of constructors, and constructor also have to be. Um, you also want your constructors to have two more properties. I talk about injectivity and conflict. But you also want inject induction and acyclicity. And well, I was actually trying to, to think a little harder on this. Why you want induction and why you don't want acyclicity. And they're kind of related, but well, now, now now we're really stretching my knowledge here. But acyclicity is is important so that you don't have, you know, like non-ending data types, you know, like you could just Keep, you would have actually some sort of stream instead of of a data type, of a finite data type. You know, like you could keep going forever, and your type check, your type checker wouldn't know that it could that you could actually hang your type checker in a loop, right? If it's cyclical, and you cannot have that because one thing you need your type checker to have is is to be terminating. You really need your type checker. Can you can you, that that would be really bad? You're trying to type check your language and it just halts. That's bad. You need it to. To terminate.
1: Okay. Tagged onions and why you think they're unreasonable? What do you have against tagged onions? I personally <laughs> think that all onions should be labeled.
0: No, 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 no. I agree. All, all onions should be... Oh, onions. oh, my God. I'm thinking about actual onions now. What have you done? But um, <laughs> the thing... <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing that that I get already a, a little bit triggered, maybe is the right word. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe i been in full of shit. Maybe, maybe it's actually correct talking about ADTs as tagged onions. But am I am I pronouncing it right? Am I giving the listener, you know, like a mental model that we're talking about about you know like the fruit onion? Yeah, you're, of... you're
1: saying onions. You, you mean <laughs> for the for the confused listener, we mean unions. I mean unions, unions. Okay. But the show notes say onions. That's the my whole point.
0: Oh, yeah. Anyway, mm. what do you have against?
1: What's your gripe with tagged unions?
0: Tag unions. So tag unions. Um, in my point of view, you know, like it's trying to reduce the idea of ADTs to simply that it's a type constructed by different, differently in different ways, right? But it is not only that, it is more than that. And it's more than that exactly in the properties that we were talking about that you need for proper pattern matching and proper type checking, right? You need non-confusion, injectivity, conflict. Induction, Did you mention non-confusion? Oh, oh okay, Non-confusion is the name of having injectivity with end conflict. I see, I see. That's and all in uh,
1: Kakan's thesis that I should read
0: good question i'm not sure where i found this uh yeah my (laughs) this this is actually a note that i that i took from a presentation that i did forever ago so i lost the source where i took this from but it's it is somewhere if you if you look really hard (laughs) you'll find this somewhere (laughs) i think i think it might be on cox thesis because everything that i took is 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 kind of there it was really amazing really summarizing all of this there this is how
1: folklore happens. It's just like I wrote it down in a presentation. <laughs> people start somewhere. talking, I,
0: right? Yeah. This is... It's a result
1: <laughs> attributed to Thierry Kakon that he never wrote. <laughs>
0: and now he, he said he said in a personal note in an email in yeah. 2032 that nobody has access anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think I, sometimes I see people, you know, like conflating the two ideas of ADTs and tagged unions and and I'm honestly not sure if that's the right, the right comparison. You know, like that's that's another thing philosophically speaking that that I've been thinking of. Um, you know, you know that that what's the name? It's um. There is a sick plan mentorship thing. Are you on that? What? You know, like there is this this sick plan M which is a mentorship program for programming languages are you one that do you know what that is
1: i've i've heard of the plan m um, but i, I didn't right. really follow what it was it's
0: i think i think somewhere. it's pretty cool and and if you have you know like some some one hour or two hours a week for 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 you know like you could put your name in there and you could get a, a, a someone to tutor and you know like oh i would feel so really bad about that impact.
1: i would feel so guilty that they got me <laughs> Do you want to learn how to not publish any papers? Like
0: Did I I'm I don't know. I don't know. So here's the thing. So I I I'm I'm both. I'm both a mentor and a, mentor, a mentee. Okay. Oh, cool. And I'm not going to mention who my mentor is because I'm not sure how I, th- I think he's fine with being public, but I didn't ask. So I'm just going to say that um, one thing that 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 I learned with my mentor that that there was Really thinking about it is that if you want to learn something, you should go to its source. So, for example, one thing, one thing in particular that he was saying: you want to learn category theory, don't don't learn category theory for programming languages. Learn pro, category theory for for category theory for math for topological spaces and all of that crap, right? Because because you don't you want you want to go to the source of the knowledge, right? You want to go to understand something. You really have to dive into it, have to go for the plunge, right? And when when you're when you're comparing ADTs with tag onions, we're we're falling into this trap of trying to to understand something in terms of something that we already know because it's more comfortable, it's convenient, and maybe we can we can make this jump faster. But the caveat here is that maybe it, it can be it can be actually dangerous to do this because now you're carrying over your assumptions for for the thing that you already have that not necessarily translates. Right? So I really believe that if you wanna if you wanna learn something, you have to go through its source. If you wanna if you wanna learn ADTs, don't, don't think just, just you don't have to think about tagged onions. ADT is not that hard, right? So why 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 say tagged onions? There there's no this. oh I am I'm 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 butchering it again. Why say tag unions?
1: <laughs> I was like, is that really how you say tagged unions? That's <laughs> That's yeah it is it I, I, is wait that's what... but you also wrote it that's so interesting that your accent right? is so strong <laughs> that it translates right? into your yeah. show notes <laughs> <laughs>
0: incredible. damn he, he's showing he's showing all my my dumb mystery all how, how i'm dumb here <laughs> oh no i mean
1: i, I grew up my, my parents both have have accents and so i i i, I delight in that type of stuff um, but so I I wanted to ask a question. I I haven't really encountered dis tagged unions in in any programming languages. Like I know about ADTs from OCaml and Haskell. So can you give an example of a language that has tagged unions and also see how they would how what is like a specific example of something where they differ?
0: Well, you have C. They have tagged unions, right?
1: I thought it had um just unions that um are they tagged um they are oh that's called a tagged union i just thought they were called unions i i've been using tagged union like as synonymous with with adts um this whole time so the point is but you do have just like um for example injectivity and conflict with tagged unions don't you
0: but it don't necessarily have induction and acyclicity.
1: Uh huh. So those are the key differences. But
0: but um, maybe maybe you have injectivity, but but conflict is a little harder to get by sometimes. I don't know. But um, the th- the thing about tagged tag union is that it doesn't necessarily comes with pattern matching, and that's the key for me. Right. You. You 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 want pattern matching, mm-hmm. and in order to have proper pattern matching, you need these properties, all of them, right? And pattern matching is beautiful; it's one of the most beautiful things in in functional programming languages, in my point of view.
1: I think it might be what sold me on functional programming language was yeah. was, was somebody yeah. showed me it's... pattern matching, and it's like if C had pattern matching, then I I would never have have switched.
0: Right, right, yeah, yeah. See, you know, like. Makes your life pattern matching makes your life so much easier and bug free. And like it's 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 so natural, so natural to think of your programs in terms of pattern matching you know, of really looking at your data specifically this this way and that way, right? There was this one guy that he was asking on Twitter the other day, I don't remember his name, and even if I remember, I probably wouldn't mention, but he he would say he was asking what imperative programming language could you know like. I I blanked a little bit, but like his point initially was that you cannot have imperative programming language with ADTs with algebraic data types, and and I was like, no, you can, you can. They're not they're not mutually exclusive, and you have it in Rust, for example, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. I was gonna say.
0: Yeah, yeah, but but that's the key. Like you usually think of of ADTs in the in the realm of functional programming language, but that's not necessarily the case. It's just where. Where they were born and where things, you know, like really where they really shine, but it's not necessary. It's just knowing how to implement this, their, them properly. ADTs, you just ADTs and then you have pattern matching, and pattern matching is just an elimination form of for ADTs and you're done. That's it. There is nothing saying that you, you need to be tied to a particular programming, you know, like what's it? What's the word? There's programming paradigm, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think we should start moving towards the the wrapping up of the episode because I think we're running out of time.
1: Okay, how do we end this uh,
0: podcast? Well, I don't know. You're the host; you'll tell me.
1: <laughs> uh, everybody, <laughs> um, thanks everybody for listening to Type Theory for All. What are one thing that I was thinking of on on our, my way to the show? Was that since you're going to be coming back to the states for a bit, and I'm going to be moving to Chicago, that we could have a Type Theory for All meetup in Chicago?
0: Ooh, I like that. I like that. Let's make it happen. Yeah, but this this is only for the for the for the premium country subscribers that's right, of the that's podcast. Right. There's a patrons <laughs> that doesn't exist. <laughs>
1: I was gonna su- never mind. Set up an OnlyFans account for the for the, for the, type, the type Theory for All. <laughs> all
0: right, guys. You can you can check Dan's OnlyFans account <laughs> on Type theory dot allcom <laughs> Well, I think I think we talked about everything that we wanted to talk. And to be completely honest, I think I even talked much more than than I expected to talk, and I really appreciate that then made those questions and that I could talk about this a little more public. There's a lot more about my my time in Brazil that I that I s that I still will share with with you know like my closer friends because I think it was such such a I think I lived like five years in one, honestly. I did so much. I, I met many people. I went to so many places I had so many experiences. So I hope I can share my my gratitude and you know like my um all my all my everything that I learned with with you guys and and my friends and people around me and that it can you know like maybe help not only me but people around me. So thank you so much then for being here, thank you for talking a little bit about your research, about your experiences. Thank you for, you know like Hosting more than half of this episode and maybe you know like I was thinking about it and I think I think I'm, I'm actually looking for for a co-host a kind of partner if you if you'd be interested we could you know like I, I'm interested in inviting you some some other time to co-host with me I think it would be really cool I would so absolutely love that we could um, talk, about, talk about it
1: uh but you know um yeah, that, that that's a very flattering idea. We'll, we'll we'll see how the how this episode does, and they're, if they're like, "Who's this asshole?" Then it will be like, "Okay, probably <laughs> probably shouldn't have probably shouldn't have this guy on the podcast again." But it, it's been a it's been so, so much fun. I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really pleased to to be on 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 the the podcast, the definitive type theory podcast of our time of our age. <laughs> and I want to thank you, Pedro, for setting it up. For one, you know, for setting up something for our niche little community and number two, for talking, you know, really those really personal experiences that you had, um, dealing with, with burnout and, and with all the pressure of that, I think everybody listening probably can relate to it. And I personally, I don't know, I, I felt a lot, a lot of connection to what you were talking about while you were, while you were saying it. So I'm, I'm grateful to you for having opened up about those experiences.
0: Well, thank you so much, man. So one thing that I usually usually ask towards the end is that if there is anything that our guest thought that he wanted to talk about but he didn't have the chance, or there is any questions that he thought that should have been answered, so I make you that question.
1: What do people usually say to that? I, I've never gotten to the end of one of your podcasts, so I don't. <laughs> oh no, They're no, that offense. boring, huh? <laughs> I think like halfway through the podcast I'm always like oh, I should be doing work. I should be.
0: People people usually say no.
1: <laughs> I usually say no.
0: Or or you know, like um they give Oh yeah, one thing that, that I also ask is like, is there any social media, any platform that you would like to to advertise? Maybe your Twitter, maybe your OnlyFans account.
1: <laughs> yes. Everybody, please uh follow me on on Twitter. It, it, my handle is dplukin. I I think maybe Pedro Pedro will put it into the uh, show notes. And also show I'm going to be. Yep. Oh, you have show notes, right? Yeah, you, you, you guys yeah. have the technology. Okay. Um, show notes technology. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got to century. Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> it's made it all the way down there. That's really great. It and did. the other thing is uh, that I'm I'm moving to Chicago. So if there are any uh, any Chicago listeners of the Type Theory for All podcast. I don't need to know any more about you. Please reach out to me. I want to be your friend. So any listeners who are out there in Chicago and and set up that meetup. That could be pretty interesting if, if, if we if we get around to it.
0: All right. Uh, dude, yep, that's it. I think we, we nailed it. And thanks everyone who stayed until here. Goodbye. Peace. Well, that was it for today's episode. Thank you so much for everyone who could stand me just talking for all this long. I know that I usually don't talk this much. I try to be as quiet as possible because I usually don't think I have that much cool stuff to share, but I don't know. Maybe sometimes we have more cool stuff to share than we expect, huh? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you guys have any questions and comments, Please leave it on our website type all.com or if you don't like your name being there you can just send an email at type theory all at gmail.com and look at and don't forget to follow us at Twitter at TT for all I think that's it I will see you guys next time.